Kia ora everybody and welcome to the first episode of season two of the On The Whistle podcast. This season we are going to be trying something a little bit different, where, we, where you will be asked questions and listen <laughs> to rugby players. So tonight on the show, we have one of the biggest names of the modern rugby era, Sam Kane. Welcome Sam. Uh, thank you boys, good to be on. <laughs> awesome. Before we dive into, into it, we'd like to say a massive thank you to Bay of Plenty Rugby Union and Acme Whistles for our partnership and helping us to bring you guys these cracking podcasts. Also allowing you, the viewers, to get to know these top guys a little bit better. So go check out their social media pages at Bay of Plenty Rugby Union Referees and Acme Whistles. Also check out the website, which is listed in the description of our Facebook and Instagram pages. But for now, I'll hand it over to Hemi to send us some facts. Yeah, uh, cheers, mate, for that, for that stellar introduction. So, uh, Sam, born, uh, born in Rotorua, um, but you grew up and um, you, grew, you grew up and were raised in um, Rotorua. Is that correct? Yep, that's um, right. You're also an old boy of Tanya Boys College, um, but also um, Rotorua College. Um, I believe you played over 50 test matches for the All Blacks. Um, so just massive achievements, um, and there's a bit of facts, folks, if you don't know them already. <laughs> Sweet, well, Sam, in tradition, we'll crack into the old quickfire section, so you ready, boy? I'm ready. Sweet. If you were to go professional in a different sport, what sport would that be? Oh, it's pretty similar, but I'd go rugby league. I like my <laughs> rugby league. Yeah. That's a good one. Most embarrassing moment as a player? Uh... Try not to stitch yourself up there. <laughs> <laughs> I had a real um, bad yellow card a couple of seasons ago for um, like knocking the ball out of the halfback's hands, like close to our defensive line. It was just a dumb play, and I knew it was dumb, and I knew it was a yellow card, and uh, that was I was pretty embarrassed by that one. So is that now? How many cards is it? I honestly think that's my only one I've had for the Chiefs, but I think I've had two or three for the All Blacks, maybe. Yeah. So that's all cracking to the next one. Favourite place you have gone on tour to? Uh, I quite enjoy Edinburgh in Scotland. Yeah. Um, it's just like a, quite a different city. Uh, it's quite old. I enjoy the history of it. Um, and we stay on the Royal Mile, which is quite like an iconic street there. Mm. The castle at the top of the hill. Yeah, so I enjoy, always enjoy going there. Yeah, just, just real quickly, um, because it's interesting, because when we spoke to Ben O'Keefe, he said that that was his favourite place to travel to in the world too. Um, but he said it was because of the fans and how they um, sing the flower of Scotland before their games, where they cut out um, the music halfway through the anthem. Um, have you ever noticed that when, when you're standing there? And, and, and is it quite impactful and powerful? Uh, probably what I remember most about playing at Murrayfield is that they turn all the lights off before you run out. So it's, complete, it's completely blacked out. Then everyone gets their phones out. So as you're running out, it's um it's pretty much dark, but you can see everyone's phones like they do at concerts sometimes, get their flashlights out. So uh yeah, the combination of you know the, the cool city but the unique experience of Murrayfield makes um that game against Scotland pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds like a good experience. Hopefully one of us or all of us boys get experience at one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very well. with, with the whistle or yeah, yeah, yeah. on the field. <laughs> I wouldn't mind just being in the crowd to be honest. <laughs> um, next one, what's your biggest fear? Uh, crikey. I haven't really thought about my biggest fear. Dump fluff after clerk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Look, I'm pretty like a glass half full sort of guy. Like I look at the positive things a lot, so I haven't really um, thought about things that I'm fearful of or scared. Um, I don't really have any weird like phobias in terms of like heights or, or things like that either. So um, nothing interesting for you, sorry. Fair enough, fair enough. Celebrity crush. Um, this is a big question on the show. <laughs> big question. Probably... I've always quite liked Rachel McAdams, the actor. Um, <laughs> also, also, also um, Margot Robbie as well. Paul Williams did her as well, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. No, nah, wasn't he? No, he wasn't the golf. When you edit this, you yeah. should just bring up photos. Yeah. Wait, so the last one. Who's your favourite person to room whilst on tour with? Um, and give us a reason why, or what you can say about them. And you can say you yeah. can say less favourite as well. I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed rooming with uh, Liam Squire when yeah. when he was in the All Blacks. We used to room together quite a lot. Um, he's just uh, for someone who plays so like fierce and, and aggressive. He's just the hard case off the field. Like, he's good fun to be around. Likes to take the piss out of people. <laughs> and um, I remember one time we're at, we're down in Crikey, we, we, we might have been in Nelson actually, um, playing Argentina. And he'd packed his bag that week, obviously, and we got into our room and he unpacked and he got his Adidas slides out. And because he'd been in the team a few years and you get some of the similar kit, he'd brought two left slides. <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> oh, it was so good. <laughs> Such a character, yeah. Least favourite? Least favourite? Uh, probably Tawara Kerbalo's up there. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> and I'd say these things to his face, don't worry. Uh, but he, He's just like quite quite an inconsiderate room, even though he thinks he's not. So he'll be... Um, so it's, for example, he has like a little bag of lollies um, in between the beds. Yeah, for him, I mean, you might... You know, your roommates help yourself to one. He's like... Ooh, those are my lollies. That's something What's like? It's got. Come on, bro. We're not ten years old. We can. Yeah. Or um, you might be trying to have a nap, and you'll be making a hoo of a racket, things like that. Yeah. Oh, so cheers for that, mate. And yeah. bit of extra insight. I'll now hand it over to Heath to yeah, crack on yeah. with it. So just thanks for that little insight into yourself. Um, just like every week, you know, we'll jump into those big kind of serious questions this time. Um, so firstly. Give us an insight to your career, like a deeper, uh, more, what's the word? Um, yep. <laughs> to where you started uh, and to where you are now. Okay. So, uh, Hemi obviously touched on it early on. I was um, born in Rotorua, but um, grew up in, in Reparoa and played all my age group rugby there. Um, my dad and, and a couple of his mates and... and my mate's fathers were uh, my rugby coaches from the age of, what, five all the way up until uh, about 13 or 14. And then, um, then my dad stopped coaching uh, me but w would help out. So I just think for such for such a small community, I was really lucky that we had a, a group of mates and a, and a group of guys who were really passionate about rugby and we had a pretty good like core to our team so yeah. we didn't have like 23 guys who were all good players 
we didn't even we struggled to field um, 23 players each week normally but uh, we had sort of I reckon 10 guys who were were good were pretty good loved their rugby and we stuck together from the age of five all the way up until when we left school so when you got you know that that many players on the field um, you sort of get enough guys who want to take out rugby for a couple of years or, or fill in for a while to fill in the other positions and um, we had some really good success we went uh, for a couple of years we were the we were top uh, rugby school in, in Bay of Plenty outside of um, Tauranga and, and Rotorua boys which was a pretty cool achievement and, and we really enjoyed that and then it probably wasn't until I got to the age of about 16 when I made the New Zealand under 17 side that the sort of just um, I sort of realised that um, I was going pretty good I think because when you're in such a small community playing for a small team you, know, you never get ahead of yourself I always had a dream of wanting to play professionally and play for the All Blacks but um, it was probably like a real light bulb moment for me where I made that, that under 17 side a year young and there was only a couple of guys in that team who were a year, year young um, so I thought well I must be heading in the right direction uh, and yeah I think part of the key to success was that I never um, got ahead of myself or thought I was better than I was I've always um, had the attitude that I've had to work really hard to, to get to where I am and after school things progressed pretty quickly to be honest I um, you know, debuted for the Bay of Plenty Steamers the following year as an 18 year old um, the next year for the Chiefs at 19 and, and then the following year for the All Blacks at 20 so um, it was pretty surreal those few those few years mm -hmm. to think of uh, that it was only three years ago I was playing first 15 rugby um, so things happened pretty smoothly uh, I'd have to say but uh, yeah look I, I still think there was a lot of hard work during that time and I took my rugby pretty seriously from a young age so it did put me in in good stead to transition in, into those teams and, and take the opportunities when they came. So you just touched on about you know you went to you went you progressed quite quickly and obviously you had to put a lot of hard work in so you know with your parents and being you lived on a farm correct? Yep. Yeah with having the farm and all that commitments how did you deal with the rugby and the other commitments? Um, I think they all sort of j just helped like uh, so my, my, I'd help my, my dad out on the farm and it was very much like a, a, a family farm in the sense that we'd, we'd all chip in and help out where we can. My mum, she'd help out on the farm as well. And just seeing the work ethic that your parents put in um, effectively rubs off on, on us as children. I've got two younger sisters. Uh, so I, I learned about hard work and sort of the satisfaction of working hard for something and then and getting results or, or seeing the result of your hard work. And like I said, it was pretty early on, I just developed a real passion for rugby. Like I, I loved the game. And, you know, for example, I, I knew that I, that I, to progress further and to be better at rugby, even though it wasn't at that point to, that I wanted to be a professional um, as a 14 year old, I, I just wanted to be better at playing rugby. Um, I saved up and bought some, some weights off trade me and started mucking around in the garage with weights. Um, dedication right yeah there, a bit eh? of dedication and I'd, I'd start going for runs and I'd notice the benefits in the game that because I was fitter I was playing better and I found it easier and enjoyed it more and um, you know just started to develop this sort of love for training and this drive to 
want to be better and want, I wanted to be the best player in, in the team. Um, it didn't matter which team I was playing for. And, yeah, so we just went from there. Awesome. Um, what do you enjoy about your job and um, what are you thankful for in your role? Um, I, I love like going to, going to work and just <laughs> hanging out with like your mates. Like just like such a like every rugby team just you guys will know just full of like such interesting characters. There's always like a couple who are just out the box and you wouldn't hang around with normally. So many different people from different walks of life, and uh, it's always you know pretty good fun. You just make some awesome friendships, you know, like like minded people, and um, you know, there's always always friends that you can can do stuff with. So I love that, but ultimately. I love just like I said that I have developed a passion for the game and, and um, to be able to play a game that I love for a living is awesome and the ultimate um, honour is without doubt um, lining up the, the anthem and, and singing our national anthem representing our country. Um, that's 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 just wicked. It's, yeah, talk uh, us through that experience of you know the anthem and the haku and you know we talked to um, Paul and Ben and they said you know the experience of the, your own national anthem in the huck is quite emotional because you know as referees we don't really get to experience New Zealand anthem or much professional referees get to stand out there so when they did it was really emotional so talk us through you know your experiences around the whole anthem and the haka. Yeah when, whenever the opposition anthem is playing you sort of just try just try and tune out um, not listen to that but then when ours is on I suppose like um, just make a, a real effort to, to sing it proudly and, and ultimately during that time you just well, I, I often just think of um, my family or my wife, like people who have helped me get to where I am and knowing that they'll, wherever we are in the world, whether it's overseas, like they'll be at that exact moment, they'll have be glued to the TV watching um, or sometimes they'll be in the crowd. And yeah, without a doubt, like there's that sort of little bit, you, you feel that bit of emotion going inside you. Um, I try not to let it get the, the better of me, mm. without a doubt. But um, yeah, it's just... Just a, it's just a hard feeling to describe, but it's a really proud one, I think. What's it like standing at the front of the hooker? Oh, it's, t- it's a bit tough up the front, eh? Um, <laughs> like, my personal preference would probably be to be a little bit further back. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but being skipper, uh, I just decided, like, I've got to embrace it and, and get, and I'll probably go slightly harder when I'm at the front because of that fact, um, just let it all out and, and, and go for it. So, um, yeah, you know, you, you've got to know the, the actions 100% too because uh, <laughs> you've got no one else to go off. It's in a funny way, it feels like you're sometimes uh, you're almost by yourself at the front because you can't see anyone outside your peripherals, but you can hear the boys behind you. And actually, I just wanted to ask um, the boys over here focusing on the national anthems and hookers, um, as a game as a whole, what would be the most memorable one that you've played in so far? Um, it's a little bit of a cliche, but with like my, my debut, my all-based yeah. debut, yeah. It's just because it's like the realisation of a dream, you know, like so much hard work going into one moment. And I suppose for most people's like dreams, it's not like a, a definitive moment, but to like to debut for the All Blacks, it's like that moment you step onto the field. Like yeah, you yeah. Now, now you are an All Black. Yeah, like I remember, I came on at halftime in a Test match down in Christchurch versus Ireland, 
And um, even though I'd been named the week before as an All Black, I just had in the back of my head, like, you're not an All Black until you play, yeah. but you've got to play. And um, as I was lining up, you know, as a open side flanker, just to left or right for the guy who's kicking the ball, it was Dan Carter kicking off. And um, as the whistle blew and he kicked off, I was just like, Mate, he was like, yeah, you're 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 on now, like you're an All Black now, and hit it off. So, um, and it was a it was a tough test match actually. We only just won a freezing cold night down in Christchurch. <laughs> Dan Carter kicked a droppy with about three minutes to go to put us in front, and um, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and I think that will lead us perfectly into our next question. Um, you've had those big moments. Um, obviously, um, you need high level of physicality um, to your game, but also there's a mental side to the game, which everyone deals with. Um, I suppose, what challenges have you faced and how have you dealt with them mentally? Um, yeah, yeah, that's the question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, I think, uh, as I touched on earlier, like I had a pretty smooth run for a while, but I've had like a few uh, challenges along the way. Like one was probably early on was getting selected for the All Blacks. Then I'd come back and play for the Chiefs, and I wasn't always, I didn't always start. Um, so I was in a, a real tough battle with Tanero Latimer, another good Bay lad. Um, and, and we were battling it out for the seven jersey. And for those first couple of seasons, when it came to finals time, he would get picked ahead of me, and I'd, I'd come off the bench. So for me, like that was um, good to keep me in check, like not getting ahead of myself, but also um, placing importance on what was best for the team. You know, the coaches said there wasn't much in it, but um, it was better for the team for, for me to come off the bench and I had to sort of swallow a little bit of pride and accept that um, that's the way it was. And um, so that was, I think, a good a good lesson for me early on in my career um, and one like I've carried through that I know the importance of the whole squad. I know what it's like to be on the bench and I know what it's like to not play as well. Um, but uh, a few other ones, I think, Obviously, uh, I'd had a pretty reasonably smooth run with injury, but in the last three years, I've had two major surgeries. Um, broke my neck playing South Africa in Pretoria, and then this, sh this shoulder, which um, I thought was just a torn pec, and then the surgeon went in and did a full shoulder reconstruction. So both fairly serious injuries. Um, and both of them, you know, in terms of coming back, playing rugby, been, the mental challenges have been about setting small goals and, and overcoming them and uh, you know taking each week as it comes and sometimes each day in terms of making progress so that and probably the other one that that sticks out in my mind was the 2019 World Cup you know I've been the pretty much I think I'd started every test that was available at open side since the 2015. World Cup final, um, but then for the the semi final, I was um, I put on the bench. So it was a pretty tough um, for me at the start of that week finding out that uh, that I was going to be on the bench. And I suppose I had to sort of draw back on some of those lessons I've learned earlier in life. But it was just it was tough because I put so much effort into um, you know wanting to be the All Black Seven in the, one of the biggest or the biggest game during that time. I wasn't picked, so um, again, it was about putting my practice to one side, um, thinking, look, I'm still playing for the All Blacks, I'm still playing in a World Cup semi-final, 
um, trying to flip things on the head and, and look at the positives. I can still have a good impact and be a really positive and, and strong leader in this side um, and, and just making the best of that opportunity. Yeah, and did those moments um, ever inspire you to, to you know, work harder? Like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, for example, um, they obviously were the greatest basketballers when they were younger and they were told that, so they would just go and work harder and harder until they became the best. Um, do you take those moments and do you just try and work harder to, to be better for next time? Yeah, for sure. Like you, you're you're always trying to work hard, but sometimes I think like a, a setback, whether it's an injury or like a selection thing, sometimes forces you to reevaluate like the things you're doing, and maybe you, there is small tweaks that you can make to to be better. Um, could be like small things in your analysis or your recovery, but little things where you can you know start tweaking. And yeah, sometimes it takes. Um, a tough lesson to, to look at those, but it's, um, it's just part of the journey. So, you know, as a captain, the big role you play is dealing with referees. Um, and obviously you have to create a good bond with them. You've got your pre-match on the field, you're dealing with them. Is there anything that you try to do to create that good bond? Or, you know, is there any goals that you try to achieve when working with a referee? Uh, ultimately, I try to speak to a referee, a referee like I'd... Um, like to be spoken to myself and it's the same it's how I speak to you know the teammates in a huddle too like I try, try not to speak with any emotion um, try not to get um, you know raise my voice I speak in a clear calm tone I just think if you do that people are so much more receptive to what you're saying um, and the other thing I'll, I'll try and be really conscious of with the referees is only going to them with something that's like having a really an impact on our game or, mm. or I think if I was to be refereeing I wouldn't want a captain to be coming up to me every break mm. questioning yeah. this call or that call or something that happened five minutes ago so I was like for me in my head it's better off to only go to the referee once or twice a game but at least when he when I come to him he knows oh Sam's coming with something that he feels is, is quite important so I'm going to give him the time of day hopefully um, so just touching on that, you know, like you said, is there anything that you would like a referee to help create that bond? You know, if you were the referee, how would you create that bond? You know, what would work well with captains? What do you think would be a good strategy for a referee to make that good bond with a captain? Um, I think, like, it's, um, it's, it's tough because there's only limited time, like, we have with referees. Like, it's not very often you get to just sit and chat with a referee on a personal level. It's often... Mm -hmm. You know, it's all on a professional basis, like the coin toss on the field post-match. It's pretty much like shake hands and, and thanks for the game and then yeah. they get going. So one thing that I valued early on when I became captain was when Dave Rennie was the, was the Chiefs coach. And we used to try and meet with referees either the morning of the game or either Friday afternoon. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was a bit of a... A task because it would, it would take a bit of time we'd go to the referees hotel meet with them and we'd, we'd have a cup of tea or a coffee and majority of it was just chewing the fat getting to know the referees on like that personal level that you talk about and then Dave Rennie was really good at sort of you know challenging and dropping a few hints around what the opposition do or what we're trying to do mm. but real just genuine rugby conversations um, I think we did that for almost two years um, don't since he's moved on, it's not something we do anymore. But it was probably something that helped me 
grow that personal relationship with some of the particular Kiwi referees um, early on. Uh, yeah. So that, that was helpful. But if you didn't go out and do that, it's pretty hard to get that actual um, like personal level interaction without it being professional. Mm-hmm. But it's, I suppose the same thing, it goes back to my points I said earlier around you know, just trying to take emotion out of it because it's such a high pressure situation out there. And often if we're going to referees, it's because um, it's something we're not happy with or yeah. it's about a, a call or the opposition. And uh, I always try and be conscious of like choosing the right time because um, I know that you know there's a, there's a camera on him as well. Everyone's watching at home. So it's just about choosing the time where there's the least pressure. Yeah. What was your opinion on those captain referrals in the Super Rugby? How did you did you like those? Um, no, not really, to be honest, because <laughs> they um they slowed the game up yep. um so much. I found, you know, that we already uh, probably a little um, pet hate of mine at the moment is how often we stop the game for guys who have a small injury or potentially faking an injury um, yeah. to slow the game down. You know, it used to always be like if he's not directly involved with the play, we play on. But there's a lot of stoppages. I think we saw it a lot, even in the test match for South for All Blacks in the weekend. But yeah, the, the captain's challenge was again one of those ones that just slowed the game down a little bit. But the the thing is that it was probably from the previous year's rug, um, Super Rugby where there's a, a lot of there's a lot of things getting missed by the four referees. Um, that forced that chain and I just think like uh, I'd love the TMO to continually be watching things and if it's important and it that, that they can come in at any time yeah so almost uh, have the TMO as a fourth AR kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. watching third, so. yeah, yeah. What, watching coming in and, and making yeah. a change because like it got to the stage where a lot of those captains challenge guys were starting to get things right you know yeah. but those are things that I really noticed last year, or this year, sorry, when I was injured, some of the things that you see from the crowd or that the everyday person sees that sometimes the referees miss, um, those are the things that need to be picked up. Mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, ideally we don't have them, but ideally, yeah. yeah. And then just real quickly, um, now you say ideally you wouldn't have that, but what law that, that currently is there or is being tested would you just scrap completely like no nah, i don't like that um is there any like any what would you want to change you know or just or completely off. scrap yeah. Yeah. yeah well then um there's obviously like the ridiculous ones about um you know the ball with the ball is out when it's kicked out where it crosses the plane yeah but someone can bat it back in mm-hmm. and it's still in play yeah. like yeah. i think it should be pretty clear cut that it's pretty much where it, yeah. where it crosses the plane and it's out. So you think if it's here's a plane of touch here, as soon as it's over the plane of touch, it's out? Yeah, well, it's got to be one or the other. It can't Never be, thought about it like it that. It can't, you know? can't be yeah. both, yeah. Because when you, you know the other law, if you stand outside the play or you push the ball in before it crosses the plane, it's still in, and then you jump in. Or if you're outside, you run, jump, catch it in the air and land and feel it, just play on. Yeah. There's so many 
I'm contradicting rules. And yeah, I completely yeah, agree. Yeah. I'm not yeah. even going to comment because I'll stitch myself. It's confusing even hearing you say that. I'm going to text from my referee coach like, I'm not even going to read the rule book. And I don't like the new change that they're, they're trialing at the moment around um, if you get held up to line and drop out. No. Do you like, think, line, that's yeah. a big disadvantage. If you've worked hard to get inside that 22, get on the line, you've gone over the page up and then you've now got to work back from the 50 or something. You know, yeah. there's, lot, there's a lot of people that can drop kick from that line to the 50. Yeah. Easy. I just so. think like rugby is often a, a game about building pressure. Like Sometimes it's mm. almost like a game of chess you know often games are so tight for 40 50 60 minutes and then the 78th minute you can just break teams and it's it's yeah. about building pressure and sometimes you know if you're you're this far away from scoring a try mm. then all of a sudden you're back there yeah. compared yeah. to getting to build pressure through another scrum what um, happened with the steamers eh? oh, when they got pumped by Taranaki they did so many times a couple of under the up. line mm. bank held up all the way down the 50, start over again. That's Steven's right. has got a massive boot on him, so it just put back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the way down. Uh, who was your biggest inspiration when you started playing rugby? Um, well, I think without a doubt, like my dad influenced my, my, my love for rugby. Like he's the one who got me into it. He's the one who took me down to my first mm-hmm. rugby training. Um, we used to watch a lot of rugby together and he'd, you know, help grow my understanding of the game. Uh, and like I said, he was my coach from up to the age of about 14 as well. So he was probably in like at every game, every training, you know, representative stuff. He'd, he'd drive us wherever we wanted to go. And, um, you know, so I felt that like sort of love and support from him and that helped. Um, yeah, it's probably my biggest inspiration early on. And then from a rugby point of view, um, I used to play number eight, so it wasn't until wasn't until I was about 15, fourteen or fifteen I started playing open side flanker, um, and at that time that's when sort of Richie McCall came on the scene. So, um, and yeah, he played for the All Blacks for fifteen years, and I was lucky enough to go from watching him to um, playing well three three years, three or four years with him. Mm. Yeah, pretty crazy. Sweet, so. Uh, yeah, so I guess we're on to the uh, live comment section now. So we've got a few viewers asking some cracking questions. So to start us, this one's from Patrick Pope. Um, it kind of it goes, "What does New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks need to do to promote respect for the referees and stop sideline abuse?" Oh, that is a great question. Is that yeah. from Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, great question, Patrick. Um, <laughs> Yeah, look, it's t- I, I don't even know the answer. I don't know the answer, to be honest. Um, look, I even remember as a kid growing up, you know, some of the places we'd go, the sideline mm. abuse. And um, at the end of the day, like, it's because people are so passionate yeah. for their team. Mm. And um, But I think we see it all the time where people think they know better or that they know what's best. But, man, you put them in that situation, there's no way they'd want to be doing it. So. Yeah. But and we see it like as professional players, like it's almost a New Zealand culture thing, which is a bit sad. But that we yeah. get it through social media as well, where people think they know best or they could have done better. That's uh, like even what some of the refs were saying. Like you know, um, Ben mentioned that he deleted all social media during the World Cup because he was getting death threats. Yeah, you know, like 
you shouldn't have to do that to do your job. No, no. It's, and, and look, I can't even imagine refs probably get it worse than anyone. But um, yeah, I'll, I don't know what the answer is. What, what do you guys reckon? Well, I think touching on that, you know, there, there is a lot of passion. You know, obviously when you go down and support your family, you're passionate. You're going to support your family. So I think if we can find another direction of, what, of a way we process our passion, then I think that could look a lot better. You know, people actually thought about the bigger picture. And obviously, like, people won't even realise it. After the game, they realise they're so into it. They're mm. so committed to, you know, supporting their kids. But maybe if they just step back at a look and go, oh, this is quite a big job. There's 30 players here, but there's one referee. You know, it's like liking the food. Not every person's going to like that food, you know. So if they understand that there's a whole, there's only one set of eyes on that one play, then maybe that might push people back and go, oh, yeah, you know, if that makes sense. Ultimately, it's things we're taught too, isn't it? So, like, yeah. it's, like, if kids are, are witnessing parents on the sidelines behaving like that, they, they're going to grow up and exhibit the same behaviours. So, um, I think ultimately it's important that parents don't try and live their sporting stuff <laughs> yeah. through their kids. You know, yeah. remember that <laughs> for yeah. their kid, you, we all just play sport to, you know, Stay even now you just play sport to have fun with yeah. your mates. Yeah. And winning's, winning's a bonus sometimes, so you don't, yeah. don't lose sight of that. Um, I think, yeah, even even the best people can get too caught up in the game sometime and just a little bit of a reality check, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's hard as well, you know, as players you might make a mistake and knock the ball on, but if a referee was to make a mistake and miss the knock on, there's quite a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah. You're not going to get much for dropping the ball, you might get a little bit, but when the referee misses the knock on, it's like... <laughs> yeah, how do you not see that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you looking at, Ruth? Yeah, 100%. Things like changing our culture eh, in New Zealand. Yeah. Like, we won't take it away from us. We're, we're a massive sporting nation. Mm-hmm. Um, rugby's our biggest sport. Um, very passionate about it. But possibly just changing that Saturday morning culture so that the kids of today you know, can carry that through and hopefully forever um, for, for as long as rugby continues. Yeah. Like, I think it, it, it's pretty good at the... Um, like, it's cool to see at the top level, you know, the respect between uh, referees and captains if you compare it to, say, mm-hmm. you know, like... Football and yeah, and some other difference. sports where you know that's you can only imagine that 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 filters down into the amateur game of those sports. So um, yeah, it's important to keep that that high level of respect between the officials and the players. Just mm-hmm. make rugby eighteen plus. Apart from referees, <laughs> referees can be below eight. Yeah, because how do you want fourteen? That's pushing it. Yeah. I'm just got a question here from Bree Williams. Um, hi Sam, you have you would have had hundreds of different officials referee your game. All players want consistency from the referee, but apart from that, what do you like to see in the referee? Great question, by the way, Brad. Brad. Bree. 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 Bree Williams. Bree Williams. Great question. Uh, what else do you like to see? Yeah, so obviously consistency. You like to see them um, having fun out there and enjoying it as well. You know, and that mm-hmm. sort of. That's how a lot of us try to go out and, and play sometimes. Um, and obviously, the bigger the occasion, sometimes you know that gets a bit harder. So I see them enjoying themselves, um, not taking it too serious, if that makes sense. Like they can. I'm a big fan. You know, sometimes referees don't always get it right. Yeah. And, but with the help of the TMO, it can be corrected. Yeah. So I, I, or from the from the touches. I'm a big fan when referees are strong enough to say, oh, yeah, I've got that wrong and correct the call right away. 
because ultimately we just want want the right call. And the other thing is when they um, acknowledge and, and listen and, and give you give you the time. Um, I'll ask you a question. Um, so obviously we're in um, Sean's family's lovely abode here. Um, th thanks to Sean's family <laughs> for that. Um, we actually caught up for dinner before this, and um, this question comes from Cam Russell. Um, what were your thoughts on the dinner tonight? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Cam also stayed and joined us for the, this lovely dinner that we had. So. Oh, dinner was outstanding. I think we had the choice of three different salads. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Awesome steak, sausages were outstanding, and then this beautiful potato bake with like cheesy crust on top. Um, the mother's outstanding. Irish. Outstanding, you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dinner, Irish Yeah, yeah. We've got one here from Sid, who's a bit of a dinosaur, but good man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we love you, Sid. Yeah, everyone, everyone loves Sid. Hopefully he's at Condor's this year. Yeah, yeah. He's a man. Uh, who is the best ref you have ever had in your career? Uh, tough question, Sid. I think, like, Nigel Owens was, I think everyone really enjoyed yeah. Nigel Owens. One, for some of those reasons that I, I said earlier, you know, like he, he seemed like he was having fun out there. He didn't take himself yeah. or the game too seriously. Um, I think Wayne Barnes is a very good referee these days. Um, and then some of our Kiwi refs, um, Ben O'Keefe's doing an outstanding job as well. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I got like one clear and obvious one, but, uh, yeah. What's your kind of favorite moment from a referee that either you've seen or um, a one-liner, maybe. Nigel loves a one-liner. Referee being knocked over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you actually knocked over a referee? Nah, I've got some bad memories of a couple of a couple of referees. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm not going to share them. <laughs> nah. They've, they've haunted me for a while. We're, oh, yeah, the decisions decided games, but we won't go there. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question here from my old Gappy, Shane McDermott. Yeah. He goes, do you reckon you're old? And do you reckon your old combo with Axe was pretty lethal? <laughs> no, I'm not old. Um, <laughs> Gappy's old. He's yeah. old. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to retire. <laughs> no, I'm only 29. I've got, I'm a couple of best years ahead of me still. And yeah, he's referring to um, a good mate of mine, Carl Axton. So we played all of our uh, junior rugby together. And I was... I was at seven and he was at eight. And um, yeah, I think he met, Carl actually made New Zealand secondary schools as um, a 16 year old from, from Riparoa College, which is a pretty special achievement. Um, not many people, I don't know if anyone's ever representing New Zealand secondary schools um, from Riparoa College. So yeah, that was pretty cool. And uh, we went on to play for, for Bayer Plenty together and he's over in, in France. Uh, he was playing for Toulouse. He was with Toulouse. Um, and now he's with um, Mabon. And his brother's playing a captain of the Mount Wanganui, isn't he? That's right, yeah. yeah. And um, actually, speaking of captains, um, yourself being the All Black captain, um, 
Yeah. I suppose. actually uh he fozzy he and foster lives just out of hamilton um so he actually asked to to come around for a coffee and it was at the start of the season he had been newly appointed the um head coach of the all blacks so i just assumed he was coming around to sort of talk about his vision for the team and what this year would look like and just to chew the fat and have a bit of bit of a you know, reflection of, of last year as well. So it, we, we chatted for about an hour and it was right at the end of the conversation. He just asked um, if I'd be willing to, to be captain. And to be honest, I'd, I didn't really see it coming. Um, I knew I knew I'd sort of be in the maybe picture or conversation just based off um, the leaders that had left in the 2019. Mm. Um, the fact that I'd captained the squad a couple of times before in the past um, but like I said earlier, based off that my last game for the All Blacks was actually off the off the bench. Like my my goal for two thousand and twenty was um, just to go out there and, and play a really good footy and, and try and demand a starting spot each week. So to to know that he saw me in that light um, gave me a lot a lot of confidence in myself. Um, and yeah, ultimately just um, a huge honour. It's not really something you. You think about as a kid growing up, or wanting to be a, a yeah. captain of the All Blacks. You know, you just want to just want to play, and uh, so yeah, huge honour, and uh, really enjoyed the the challenge of it last year. Is there on on a game day? Is there kind of a different mental preparation when you have to go out and lead a team as a captain for an international team than just going out and being a player? Yeah, there is a little bit, um, but. Like anything, like the more you do it, the easier it sort of becomes. Like you, you work out what works for you. Um, you work out what you need to think about and control. But um, as as the week wears on, I've, I've realised that come game day, it's just about going out there and playing well myself. So um, there's little things like the coin toss, um, talking to the team, um, having little conversations with you know your first five look lots of small little things but the more you do it those just become part of your routine and it becomes easier and then the key is just to play well in the weekend ultimately so you talk about you know preparation during the week um you know referees prepare a lot you know like for example me i do my grow and then go with some teams whatever information i can get you know and then get pick my get um gear you know some referees play golf so what is your week leading up to a big game look like for you and what helps you um so we'll sort of we'll go from one weekend to the next so say we've played saturday you know sundays often about the for me is about recovery and, and reviewing saturday's game what went well what could i have done better picking out not too many things um just a couple of things to to work on that week but also acknowledging like the things that i've done well during that game as well um and then yeah, like our Mondays are pretty struck. Like the whole week's really structured in terms of the team stuff. And for me, by the end of the week, um, I'll, I'll put a bit of planning in, and there's things that I want to. I know that I need to tick off, um, and a lot of them, a lot of them are physical things that you need to tick off. You know, skill work on, 
gym work, fitness work. Um, then there's a few, few like mental things in terms of analysis. Um, you know, doing what we call our homework and coming up with the game plan and knowing your role and where you fit within it. And, um, I think by the end of pretty much by the end of Thursday, uh, I just want to be very free of all those thoughts and, and really confident in what I'm doing. And then yeah. Friday and, and Saturdays, sort of just about getting the body feeling really good and, and take confidence into the game. Who would be the toughest opponent you have played against and why? I should really have a better answer to this because I sometimes get I get answers yeah I get asked this question quite a lot uh, and I don't really know to be honest. Um, easy. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose like when we played Aussie, um, just because of David Pocock's strength over the ball um, and how good he was at that, like you're always high, your senses were senses were always heightened around where he was, like keeping an eye on him as a seven. Approaching the breakdown, having an awareness of where he was. Um, so I wouldn't say he was the toughest player to play, but he just like because he was so strong in that area, um, you had to you know, really be aware of where he was at any point. Mm-hmm. I've got a question here from Patrick Pope. Um, what do you think of the New Zealand first 15 games on TV and the talent coming through? You know, that's, I think that's a big area that you know players and referees are growing through, you know, and it's good to see that is on the television. So what's your thoughts on the um, if I'm honest, I don't really, I don't watch any of the first thing rugby on TV. <laughs> <Ooh>. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, so I'd be lying if I tried to give comment. But to be fair, I don't watch um, heaps of rugby these days either. Um, so uh, I think it's more just as I've got older, it's a ch- chance for me to s- switch off in the evenings. Um, so I don't tune into to every rugby game. But I, without a doubt, like the you know, times I've seen highlights or seen um, first 15 games, I do know it seems like the level's increasing <laughs> all the time. Um, but I think it's such a fine line in schools between like, the schools creating high, these high-performance environments where it's all about making the first 15 um, compared to remembering why we all started playing the game and it's for, for fun. Like, just because guys don't make a first 15, it, oh, I hate to see... Or hear about guys who stopped playing rugby because of it because oh I, I missed out on the first 15 i'm not gonna be an all black so i don't want to play rugby anymore like rugby's got so much more to offer than just a pathway or a career and you know like awesome to see you guys been involved in the game of rugby mm-hmm. through refereeing um i think it's we're just in danger of by making everything targeted towards high performance and being the best that we just lose sight of the actual what we get from the game of rugby the camaraderie the, the mateship the social side like mm-hmm. just having fun and, and even what playing sport teaches you as a kid like the commitment um, the dedication all these things so yeah, yeah. we should go and elaborate on that with um, scholarships that um, all these massive schools in New Zealand are giving out um you know, taking players from Pusay Tojinga, there's been a few players that have been scholarshiped, you know, out to Auckland, um, um, down down Wellington. Um, what are your thoughts on those? Um, do you think they should be scrapped, or, or, or really that should be the boys' decision to make? Um, no, ultimately I think it should be the boys' decision to make, because I know um, th- there is plenty of 
stories around where you know the, the kids at the school miss out because they've brought someone in but there's also some really good stories of um you know kids from small areas who have, have these amazing opportunities through sport or through these scholarships so um well i, I had scholarship offers to go up to some schools up in auckland and uh, my mum and i went and looked around and, and decided it wasn't what was best for me so at the end of the day it's um it i think yeah it's up to the the, the kids and the parents to always just try and make a decision that they think is best for them and their future at that time and um yeah i, I but i can see i can certainly see both sides of the argument yeah, yeah. um so this one's from uh mike swan i believe this he says now i don't know swan <laughs> But how have you had to moderate your approach to four star following your neck injury, and like what will rugby after or what would like, what would life look like after rugby for you? Um. So what have I have I had to do? What was my neck? Sorry. Uh, moderate your approach <laughs> or style following your neck injury. Oh. It all started with Mike, eh? You're like, oh. <laughs> the word Mike, yeah. Uh, no. Have you had to moderate your approach yeah. or style following your neck injury? Uh, yeah, I have uh, ever so slightly. Um, so, to be fair, the way I hurt my neck is because I had lined a guy up in the collision at, at the breakdown and just went in as hard as I could to try and nail him. And, um, like it was sort of a, a part of my game that I grew was the was the physicality and I enjoyed that part of it. Um, but when you commit to things so hard, sometimes it only takes small movements and you can get them wrong. But because you're going in so hard, the consequences can be worse. So, you know, for example, I've, I've knocked myself out a couple of times by going in too hard and, and, and the picture slightly changed or I've caught a hip, um, things like that. So it took my neck injury for me to and I'd known it for a while but I hadn't been able to implement it on the field um, that I don't have to sort of dominate every collision all these times where I can still try and effectively make a tackle but without going in as hard as I need to so I suppose it's a little bit about self-preservation and is a, a change that I, I needed to make if I'm going to keep playing for as long as I want to play. So what are your, your future plans? Obviously, you injured yourself not long ago. Um, when are you planning to come back? And, you know, what is that looking like? Are you going to come back straight into the captain role? Or, you know, I see you were working with the Bay Plenty Standards on the weekend. So talk us through your role coming back. Yeah, so I've been training with Bay Plenty for the last three weeks, and it's been awesome just to um, be involved with the Bay again. Um, well, I love this team and love this region, so it's been cool to be involved with them. And just... I've been great at helping with my return to rugby, so getting some contact in, and you know, some of the young fellas there have been really good at holding pads or, or tackling me and <laughs> me, me tackling them. So um, I'm, I'm thankful for that, and I'm hopeful of, of making a return to rugby next week. It's a little bit tricky because by plenty have a bye, we're scheduled to play counties, but um, with them being in level three, uh, it's not possible. So. Looking at another couple alternatives, but if that doesn't happen, um, the plan will just be to jump on a, a flight to the to the states and, and hopefully um, ease into rugby that way. Um, in terms of the, the captaincy role, I've got no uh, expectations at the moment. You know, it'll no point putting 
too much pressure on myself after having six or seven months out playing to sort of step straight back into a role like that. Um, most important part is me getting back and, and playing rugby and, and playing well. Um, it's just a bonus to uh, even be in the position to play some rugby at the end of this year after um, the seriousness of the injury. So um, it'd be cool to finish the year playing some footy and, and set me up well for a, a big 2022. Yeah, obviously, you know, you just spoke on before about optimism. You look at the glass half full and you know you have a, you'd like to work hard. So is there that feel in you that you, when you want to go back into, obviously you've been out injury, but when you go back to the blacks that you want to hit the ground running, you know, being intact? Yeah, for sure. Like deep down, you're like, you want to just be able to hit the ground running and you, you watch from afar about how well the boys have been going and, and how guys are taking their opportunities and you just want to get back out there and, and show what you can do. But um, you've also, I've also got to be like realistic with what I've been through, um, the seriousness of the injury and where I'm at um, and the level of rugby that they, they are playing. You know, you can't just step straight back into that and, and expect to, I can't expect to um, play where I was before I was injured. So um, yeah, just, I think if you've got too much expectation and pressure on yourself, again, you'll take away from the, the fun and the privilege of being in that position. Um, and yeah, just make the most of it. Uh, we've got another one here from Gaffy. Um, how do you reckon you would go as a ref, Sam? And maybe some junior games next season? We've actually got a whistle here for you, mate. So oh! <laughs> <laughs> no boys for next season. That's custom, custom as well. Custom. Is it? Custom. So it's the best, best you can get, mate. So, you know. Well, I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. Um, you have to, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll have to put it to you, say. It's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of us lads will have to come down and give you I think the only time I'll, you'll see me in the whistle maybe is um, later in life if I have kids and they're out there playing sport. <laughs> I'll be, pretty, be quite cool to sort of be involved um, yeah. with both a son and rugby like sort of my dad was for me. Um, Travelled around the South Island when I got injured, my wife and I in a camper van, and we stopped in and saw um, Andrew Hoare on his farm in um, Maniatoto. And yet, on Saturday morning, he was out there uh, running around with his with his boy coaching. It was quite cool to see. So, because you like look at Dan Wanger, you know all of that sleeper when he had all them and come and Glenn Jackson has had great season in rugby and then finishing off with a referee. You know, could maybe be a pathway in the future. It'd be pretty pretty <laughs> cool, you know. <laughs> To be honest, I don't think I'd ever want to refer <laughs> at a professional level way. Um, and a, a lot of the reason would be because um, just of, of the travel, like I would have done all going well. I'll, I'll keep playing rugby for a few more years and um, we'll travel to all these countries that we play in, but the referees are traveling to the same countries too. And um, it'd just be sort of by that stage, I think I'd be ready for something a wee bit different. And, and, Probably the same reason I'm, I don't see myself transitioning into a, a serious coaching role either. It's just for that that change of sort of lifestyle and, and routine. It's so always referee around here. Yeah, yeah. referee around here, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I believe that that's all the other questions, isn't it? Yes, that's all of them. So I think that will mean that we come to our conclusion of tonight's podcast. Um, just really quickly, folks, um, you've obviously seen the custom merch up there. Um, keep your eyes peeled for in the future um, because we do have a giveaway coming up. Um, I'm not going to reveal everything that's going to be in it, <laughs> but um, it is good. Okay, we've been sent something from one of our referees to give away. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, 
to Sam, mate, thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah. Um, massive, massive one to have you on here. Um, to kick off season two with the players. Um, as always, folks, uh, make sure you check out our sponsors, Acme and Bay of Plenty, um, because they've been massive um, through this whole process. So if nothing else is, if no one else has anything else to say, uh, that'll be us checking out for tonight.